0: Hi, I'm David Zichterman, the pastor of Emden CRC, and today I'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and Lord's Day 13 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun, and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And from Lord's Day 13 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Why is he called God's only begotten son when we also are God's children? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God, adopted by grace through Christ. And why do you call him our Lord? Because not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, he has set us free from sin and from the tyranny of the devil and has bought us body and soul to be his very own. The season of Advent reflects a deeper reality. We are always living in Advent time. As Christians, Advent is a way of life that prepares us for the return of King Jesus. Advent means coming or arrival. Advent time is the time between Jesus' first coming when he was born in a manger in Bethlehem and Jesus' second coming, when he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Advent time is a time of tension. In Advent time, our lives are hidden with Christ and God. In Advent time, we live in the hope that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. In this in-between time, between Christ's first coming and second coming, We experience the joy and comfort that is the result of being, as the catechism states, adopted children of God, adopted by grace through Christ. We are members of God's worldwide family, signed and sealed in our baptisms. In Advent time, we call Jesus our Lord because we know he has set us free from sin and from the tyranny of the devil and has bought us body and soul to be his very own. Yet, In this in-between time, we have only a small beginning in the holiness God requires of us. In this time, we must still battle with sin and evil, still battle temptation, endure trials, and experience the sting of death. In Advent time, the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, says Peter in his first letter, looking for someone to devour. So we must be self-controlled and alert, ready to resist by standing firm in the faith. Advent time is marked by tension. It is like the tension that existed between D-Day, which marked the beginning of the end of World War II, and V-Day, which concluded the war. With D-Day, the tides turned definitively, and the Nazis began their slow but sure retreat. Yet, though their eventual defeat was all but sure, many battles still had to be fought. Many more months of suffering and death had to be endured before the victory was complete. That is the tension Advent time invites us to embrace. Jesus has come. We celebrate his first Advent, his birth in a manger, his life of service, his death on a cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the Father's right hand side. By these events, Jesus has overcome sin, death, and the devil. And yet still we wait. We wait alert and on guard, for the devil still prowls like a lion seeking to devour. We wait longing for Christ to return and make his victory complete. Advent time puts us on guard, makes us alert, and reminds us of the tension that surrounds us. Holiday time, however, wants to put us at ease and forget about that tension. Holiday time insists it's the most wonderful time of the year. In holiday time, as Christmas approaches, so does the demand for feel-good movies. As the New York Times recently reported, there has been a recent boom in cheesy Christmas movies. They are very popular. As one expert stated, No matter what the state of the economy, no matter what the state of chaos or stability, there is an extraordinary appetite for simple, cheesy, unsophisticated, easy-to-watch programming. Tis the season for Hallmark movies. There is something strangely appealing about these movies. More than once I've told my wife I would watch just a few minutes of one of these films with her only to find myself sitting next to her for the whole movie. Their simple, predictable plots have an appeal. These movies reflect holiday time. We watch them to avoid tension and unpleasant realities. We watch them to escape reality. The poet W.H. Auden captures this universal tendency to avoid the advent tension when he writes, Faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. All the conventions conspire to make this fort assume the furniture of home, lest we should see where we are, lost in a hunted wood, children afraid of the night, who have never been happy or good. Holiday time says ignore the tension. Advent time encourages us to accept our tension-filled reality, that we are lost In a haunted wood, children afraid of the night, who have never been happy or good, who need hope. Advent time allows us to acknowledge our pain, confusion, and our brokenness, so that we may cling ever closer to our only hope, Jesus Christ in his return. Advent reminds us of the darkness that covers the earth and the evil, pain, and suffering that have not yet been banished. In the children's story, a Wrinkle in Time by Madeleine L'Engle, Meg Murray worries about her father who has disappeared. While she wonders where her father went, three strange visitors appear. They invite her to join them on a quest to find her father. On the way, they travel to different planets. At one distant planet, they travel high into the sky to the edge of space. From that height, they observe a dark shadow, dark, and dreadful to even look at. The three strange visitors show Meg a dreadful dark shadow creeping over the planet. They show her this shadow so she would know just how difficult and dangerous her journey to her father would be. Likewise, Advent time reminds us we are on a journey to our heavenly father. And the book of Isaiah, like the three strange visitors in the novel, invites us to look into the heart of darkness to see more clearly the sin and evil we will have to contend with as we make our journey toward our Heavenly Father. Broadly speaking, there are four ways the darkness is described in the book of Isaiah, four dark themes that emerge as you work your way through this book. These four darknesses are the darknesses of deception, abuse, decay, and war. First, the darkness of deception At the time of Isaiah, Israel and Judah were caught up in a complicated chess game for control of the Middle East. They were pawns of Syria to the north and Egypt to the west. Instead of turning to God, their leaders and prophets sought to make alliances to protect themselves. Meanwhile, they deceived the people, telling them that everything was okay, even better than ever, while in reality everything was about to crumble. In this climate, trust was in short supply, cynicism was rampant, and the vulnerable easily taken advantage of. The darkness of deception has never really let up. In recent history, from the Pentagon Papers to Watergate, to the attempted cover-ups by media companies and churches over sex abuse allegations, major cynicism and distrust have taken root. This is the darkness we live in as well. Second, the darkness of abuse. In Isaiah's time, the powerful and connected used their power to take advantage of the poor. Against the powerful, the Lord declared through the prophet Isaiah, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. That comes from Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Power was used in Isaiah's day not to protect and defend the poor and vulnerable, but to abuse them. The darkness of abuse has never really let up either. Power is misused in destructive ways every day. This is epitomized by the Tamami system that controlled New York City in the 1930s. According to Neil Planinga. In his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, in the Tamami system, city authorities rigged bids for city construction projects, hired lifeguards who couldn't swim, built inaccessible piers, and jailed innocent teenagers to motivate their parents to bribe the presiding judge. It is a classical case of political corruption, of power used to abuse. Unfortunately, it isn't limited to 1930s New York City, but can be retold again and again throughout cities in America and around the world. This is the darkness we live in as well. Third, the darkness of decay. What had begun on stable footing was falling into disrepair. What was once considered good was now falling apart. God had established Israel and had blessed his people with abundance. Yet, as Deuteronomy warned, such blessings were taken for granted, Ingratitude fouled, and decay in morals was well underway. That decay was rampant by Isaiah's day. As Isaiah says in the second chapter, See how the faithful city has become a harlot. She once was full of justice, righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, companion of thieves. The decay is palpable. The darkness of decay hasn't gone away either. For every reformation, there is a near equal deformation. The the reformation of the 1500s gave way to the religious wars of the 1600s. The Ivy League schools that dot the East Coast initially established to to promote and safeguard religion soon became bastions of liberalism that undermined religion. And for every church that I have been to, there have always been the golden years, implying that it has been all decline and decay since then. As the poet Robert Frost puts it, nothing gold can stay. This is the darkness we live in as well. Fourth, the darkness of war. The Israelites were surrounded by war. Syria threatened them from the north, Egypt from the west, Assyria from the northeast. Because of all the war and violence, their brave men cry aloud in the streets. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. The land mourns and wastes away, the prophet declares in chapter 33. The darkness of war hasn't gone away either. The history of the world can sadly be told as a history of war, of one nation rising up against another nation. War continues to darken such places as Syria, Ethiopia, and Afghanistan. And we have learned that even when war is over, it still carries on. They leave scars that last for generations. This is the darkness we live in as well. Into this darkness, the darkness of deception, abuse decay and war Isaiah preached that a light is on the way a light that will not be overcome by the darkness but will prevail a light that will pierce the darkness a light that will dawn on the shadow of death a light that will bring joy and gladness a light that will end oppression and war instead of deception this light will give wonderful counsel guiding those who listen to the way of truth Instead of abuse, this light will use his mighty power to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Instead of decay, this light will provide the everlasting and never-failing love of the Heavenly Father. Instead of war, this light will be the Prince of Peace, who will convert swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Isaiah tells us this light will come about through the birth of a child through a son given to us. We now know that the child who is born, the son who is given, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of this child, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this Everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace who has won for us our salvation. But in this Advent time, we also wait for his return. While we wait in the darkness of this world, the light of Christ still pierces through the darkness. Every time one of God's children gives wise counsel instead of deception, service instead of abuse, faithfulness instead of decay, and peace instead of violence, the light of Christ pierces the darkness of this world. While we wait, the light of Christ still shines on. The light shines on through the faithful witness of the church, through loving counsel, humble service, faithful obedience, and gentle peacemaking. The light of Christ continues to shine in this dark world. And this gives us hope for the return of Christ and his light-filled kingdom in which darkness will be banished. We wait and long for that day when there will be no more night. We will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give us light, and we will reign forever and ever, according to Revelations chapter 21. We live in Advent time. We live with awareness of the darkness, but we also journey toward our Heavenly Father, guided by the light of Christ. Thanks for listening.